Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for your manifold blessings bestowed upon us, your weak creatures here upon this earth. We thank you, Father, for the word of power that we've heard this morning about your plan of redemption, of your working in the hearts of men and women. We pray that many more would uh, take advantage of your grace while it is still available. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher this afternoon and that we would have attentive ears to hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For this afternoon's text, I'd like to turn to a familiar chapter on the resurrection, and that's contained in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first letter to the Corinthian church by the Apostle Paul, chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as one of born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, which, whether it were I or they, so we preach. And so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. 
For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under, under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he that put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which they put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that hath put all things under him, that God may be all in all. I've read up to verse 28 of chapter 15. There are many in this world that would like to discount the resurrection of Christ and attribute it to many different explanations, theories, especially those that do not believe that he was the Son of God, especially those that do not believe in God, period. But we see in this chapter that the Apostle Paul goes to great lengths, great extents to, in perhaps the manner of the Greeks of the arguments, in their logical arguments, to very systematically um, give great evidence towards the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Recently I've been studying a lot about the early church and the influences that the early church had from false teachers, from people that had come from within their own midst, and were believing some of the false teachings that were so seemed to be so prevalent at the time. Um, here, here he says, um, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? There were those in Corinth that were actually teaching that there is no resurrection of the dead. This morning we heard from 2 Thessalonians where, where the brother read a portion of their desensit, their de, being, being desensitized. They were believing lies. Um, there were some, it appears, that were writing letters in the name of Paul to influence the church. That the resurrection or the day of the Lord is already past. Paul excommunicated Alexander and Hymenus, I believe, because they believe that the day of the Lord is past already. A lot of teachings that were going on. And as I looked into the history of the false teachers, many times has been mentioned from this pulpit, there was a group called the Gnostics 
And the Gnostics believed there was all kinds of Gnostics. They were known so because of the word gnosis for knowledge. They believed that they had a special revelation from God, a special knowledge that made them attain a certain spirituality. And you can't be saved without this special gnosis. And what some of these Gnostics believed was that, number one, Jesus Christ did not come down from heaven. The Jesus on the earth was not the Christ, the Son of the Father. They believed that he couldn't have been because they believed that the earth was created by a demiurge, this godlike figure, these heavenly beings that created an imperfect earth, that created an imperfect human being, and that was completely sinful. And so how could a perfectly righteous God descend to earth and live with men? It was impossible to them. They believed that this Jesus was not the Christ, the Messiah. And that's why it says in 1 John chapters 1, 2, and 3, if you read, especially number 4, where it says that any man that says that Christ Jesus did not come in the flesh, the same is the Antichrist, the pseudo-Christ, the false Christ. That's what they taught. They also taught that um, believers are beyond sin. Because it's only the flesh that sins, but the, 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 the spirit is within this shell of the flesh, and it cannot be affected by sin. And because the shell of the flesh is so evil, it will not even be resurrected. And what I sort of got to understand is that maybe these were some of these teachers that did not believe in a bodily resurrection. And so they were teaching here that the body is not resurrected because it's sinful, it's evil. But only that they would listen, and if we had time, we would read to the rest of the chapter. It says that our flesh, we shall be changed in a twinkling of an eye. It is not the same flesh that we will assume when we are resurrected. He talked about the flesh of fish and the flesh of animals and so forth. He talked about the different glories of the planets and so forth. That we are sown a natural body, but we are raised a spiritual body. And because they didn't understand some of these things, they come to a conclusion that there is no resurrection of the physical body. Because it's sinful. The Apostle Paul says, well, we have witnesses. We have witnesses. I'm preaching unto you that which I also received. Where did he receive that? The Apostle Paul was a privileged apostle in a, in a way that the, perhaps the other apostles weren't. The other apostles were more privileged that they walked with him, that they talked with him. First uh, John chapter 1 says... If I can just read it. First John chapter 1 says, That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father, which was manifested unto us. He, he opens his uh, first, uh, the gospel itself of John, the same author, with very similar words. You have to remember the Apostle John was the last of the living apostles. He lived close to the end of the first century. He's, he may have been 90 plus years old when he died. But he, he, he even lived to see Jesus in the vision on the Isle of Patmos. And in the very gospel he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him not anything was made that was made. So the Apostle John says, we have felt him, we have handled him, we've seen him, we've talked to him. But the Apostle Paul says, he revealed himself to me. And we know in at least one occasion when that happened, that was on the way to Damascus, when he met that great and bright shining light, greater than the, brighter than the noonday sun, and he heard the voice that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. He says, I preached unto you that which ye have received already and wherein ye stand, by which ye also are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is what he received from Christ. He said, you don't, let no other, man, no, no other man have to teach me. He said, I've seen that Christ revealed this to me. One of the qualifications of, of an apostle was that he had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember when they were choosing the new uh, apostle to replace Judas, who betrayed Jesus? If you go to the book of Acts Chapter 1, after they had already witnessed the ascension of Christ into the clouds, and it says in chapter 1 of Acts, and they appointed two, <coughs> before that, Wherefore, verse 21, Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. This is an apostle. There were 12 apostles. And unfortunately, there are churches today that say that we still have apostles. Were they the actual witnesses, eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I don't think so. But here it had to be one that was uh, uh, an eyewitness with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they appointed two that they could come up with 
that were still there when Christ was here and, res- and were witnesses when he was resurrected. And that was Joseph called Barsabbas and uh, one whose surname was Justice and Matthias. And they cast a lot and uh, they prayed and the, the lot fell upon Matthias and he became numbered with the 11 apostles. So they restored the bishopric of Judas. And Apostle Paul says, as Cephas, as Peter was the apostle to the Jews or the circumcision, I was the apostle to the uncircumcision or to the Gentiles. So he became the 13th apostle. And he said, I was a witness of the resurrection. I delivered to you what Christ delivered to me. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Well, when did the scriptures record the resurrection of Jesus Christ? In uh, Psalm 16, a very well-known psalm. Many times perhaps we sing some of these lyrics in other songs. But in Psalm 16 it says, halfway down, verse 7, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This was David prophesying in one of his psalms that he will not leave his holy one to see corruption. And that same um, verse is now expounded upon by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, after he had um, preached a a mighty uh, sermon that uh, 3,000 men were baptized, they were pricked in their hearts and said, What shall we do, brethren? And he told them, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. He said, He first of all uh, pricked them even further when he said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and work wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves have known. Him being deter- uh, delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it should not be possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaking concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand and I shall not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Where? Rest in the grave in hope because his redeemer lives. Because thou would not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of truth. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. 
Men and brethren, he comes to a concluding summary. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of this patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us to this day. He's not speaking about King David. He says, therefore being a prophet, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ. To sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in hell. Neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up. Whether we all are. Whereof we all are witnesses of. This is Peter speaking. So when Paul goes and goes through all the witnesses. He includes all the apostles. And he says, and that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the eleven. After that he was seen of the five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until this present, but some have fallen asleep. And that he was seen of James, the brother of Jesus. He was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also. He was a witness of the resurrection. In a court today, if you had 500 witnesses showing up and said, we all saw the same thing, what do you think the just judgment would be? We believe you. Although people don't believe. They still don't believe. They were seen of 500 brethren at once, at one time. From different angles. They recognized him. And then it says. Of whom now the greater part. Remain to this present. But some some have passed on. Some have died. He was seen of James. All the apostles. And last he was seen of me. One born out of due time. For I am the least. Of all the apostles. That am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What a great witness that is. That it was someone that was opposing Jesus. The enemy of Christ. That could come and witness finally in humility say I was wrong. I was wrong. But not only... What is a tremendous witness, but what a, an example of repentance. What an example of repentance that is. That after our entire lives that we've led, that when we've taken our lives into our own hands, have gone down the path that we thought was the better path for me, that after all was said and done, we could say, I was wrong. It warms my heart to see those that have trodden a long time away from the teachings of their parents, away from the teachings of their church, away from the way of their life, of of their childhood. And then say, I was wrong.
You see, repentance is not head knowledge. It's not theology. It's not knowing the Bible inside out. It's coming to God and saying, I was wrong. As we're counselling our converts this afternoon, and we were going through refreshing some of the things that we have learned, and, and the question came up, I'm not sure what to say. That's the bottom line. I was wrong. God was right. God was right. And that's the power in confession. That is the power in confession. When we can come one day and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all and we believe in our heart that he died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's enough for God to say, I acquit you of all your sin because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. My dear friend outside of Christ, don't go into any complicated reasoning. It's it, The gospel, Isaiah 35 says, I'm going to show you a way that the wayfaring man and the fool cannot err. And that is to say, everything that I've done against you, I was wrong. I kicked against the pricks and do they hurt? I've realized that my life is empty. All the, all the dreams that I pursued, all the visions that I had turned into dust. And the Apostle Paul, the learned of the learned, said, I count everything but dung. Philippians 3. I count everything but dung that I may win Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinks that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh either more. If I could boast about my qualifications as a, as a human, as a man that uh, believed in Judaism. I was circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness which is in the law, blameless. No one could pin anything on me. But what I think, what things are, uh, were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ, yet doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, manure, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. My dear friend, you know Christ, you have everything. 
You are the richest man on earth. When you know Christ as Savior, you have everything. We read in in Romans chapter 8 this morning, we become heirs together with Christ of all his glory. Everything that he has, he shares with us. When we know Christ as Lord, we have everything. And that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. When you die, what happens to you? You know, you may, you may go down a path. You may go down a path and say, well, this path is not much different than that path. You say that this path, you do good things. I can do good things on this path. This road is well paved, brand new pavement. This has got good pavement. The sky is blue here and the sky is blue there. What's the difference? question is, where does that road lead? Where does this road lead and where does that road lead? And at the beginning, when you come to the, to the why, to the fork in the road, and you make a decision, you say... There's no difference. I can always make a a detour or cross-connect down the road. That's what many have said. I can always turn back. But then they get lost. Then they go through terrain. They get lost. They're confused by the things that they've heard and seen elsewhere. They get upset at God because things didn't go well. Their child died. They lost their business. Their wife died. The husband died. They went bankrupt. Somehow they got into alcohol. Some they got into drugs. And it was very difficult to get back on the road. There seems a way that, there is a way that seems right unto man. The proverb says, I believe. But the end thereof is destruction. The Apostle Paul was down that road. And he was so thankful when he realized how far he had gone and how much God loved him that Jesus would intervene on the road to Damascus, blind him physically but open his eyes spiritually that he could come back. He said, I am the last that, I've, that saw him and as one that was born out of due time. For I am the least of all the apostles and am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And what does he attribute this all to? Did he say, well, God revealed this to me because I was always studying the word. I was always into the Old Testament. He didn't say that. 
He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now, he's speaking the labor not before. He was speaking the labor after conversion. Because he realized such a a wonderful salvation, his gratitude for his God, for his creator, for his savior was so much that he labored. He couldn't return the gift of salvation, but he could thank him with his life. Have we lost that passion and thankfulness for our Lord? That we are so grateful for what God has done for us. I'm going to serve him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might for the rest of my life. Do we really believe in that? Are we living a resurrected life? Colossians. Chapter 3, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth, for you are dead. You are dead to sin. You are dead to everything that this world has to offer to you, and you are alive unto Christ. When Christ, who is Our life shall appear, then shall ye appear with him in glory. And very parallel to what we heard this morning about mortifying your your members which are upon the earth from all the uncleanliness, fornication, uh, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness. We mortify the deeds of the flesh through the Holy Spirit which is being given to us. That's a resurrected life. That's a life in the newness of a man of God and a woman of God. And then he goes through this um, very systematic, logical thinking about if Christ has not been risen, if Christ did not rise from the dead, we heard last Friday that he was raised for our justification. Delivered for our offences, but raised for our justification. We could not be justified. What does that mean? We could not be cleared of our sins. If Christ did not rise, it was proof that he was not the Messiah. And he, it was proof that then he, his sacrifice was in vain. And therefore, we are still in our sins. That's what he says here, basically. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they all that have died in the past, they perish, they're lost. We're believing fables. If... In this life only, and that's what maybe they were teaching, because that's what the Gnostics sort of taught. If in this life only, 
If, if Christ only came to be a good example to inspire us to better works, if that's the only reason, and he wasn't the substitutional atonement for us, we're the, we're the most miserable of all men. As the bumper sticker says, this life is terrible, I'm not, we use the word they use, and then you die. And then you die. What hope have we more than an animal, the Bible says. But because Christ is risen, we have hope, we have life. Now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be all be made alive. And this is a sort of a parallel to Romans chapter 5 when he talked about the human race. Because of one man's sin, the first Adam, all men died. And because of the second Adam, Jesus, because of his work on the cross, shall all be made alive. He's made that uh, possibility to occur. It, it, it's not automatic. This is what universalists preach. Because of Christ's death, everyone's going to be saved. And that's not true. We hear, we know here in the scriptures it says that, that salvation comes through confession through our mouth and belief in our heart of Jesus Christ being the one that died for our sins. And that we believe that he raised, was raised again for our justification. And that comes only on the condition of confession. In other words, it's another name for repentance. When we acknowledge our sin, when we repent of our sin, when we ask God to make us um, a new man, a new woman in him. Then the blood is applied. Then the blood is applied. And our sins are remitted. They're cancelled. They're paid for. How dreary and depressing this world will be if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And we can never thank him enough for the great work of salvation. And I just pray, my plea goes out to all again today, those that don't know him. Don't delay. Don't wait any longer. You know in the depths of your heart that this is the way. Don't think that there's any more out there because you're going to have a longer turn making a U-turn coming back. And uh, It's all God's work, don't forget. But he doesn't promise grace for tomorrow. Remember that. Today, when you hear his voice, hide not your hearts. To him be the glory evermore.
Dear Father in heaven, it is truly with thankful hearts that we bow and acknowledge thee as the Lord over everything and the Savior of us. Dear Father, we are amazed that our Creator, the one who has formed us from the dust of the earth, breathed life into us, that he would also be the one that would save us from ourselves, from our sin. Dear Father, we praise thee for this great work of salvation in Jesus Christ. We praise thee for the this wonder of salvation that was hidden from the foundation of the world, that faithful men in time past uh, trusted and hoped that there was some salvation in the future, that there was something promised that they did not know. Their eyes were holding. They, they prophesied of it. They just trusted in faith that thou wouldst provide because they knew thee. They knew thy love, dear Father. And now it is revealed in Christ Jesus, and it is for everyone to partake of. Dear Father, we are amazed at this. Our hearts are overflowing. Dear Father, help us to live that resurrected life that is the best witness in this day and age of what happened 2,000 years ago, of that fact that there was a man, Jesus, who walked here below and gave his life for us that was the Son of God and was resurrected by thy power. Dear Father, we ask for continued grace for thy patience and, and, and long-suffering for those of us here today that do not fully believe this, that haven't embraced it completely. Dear Father, tarry with us. Tarry with those of our loved ones that have not confessed with their mouths that, that truly that they believe that thou art, that Jesus Christ has died for their sins and, ris- and risen for the just, their justification. Dear Father, speak to their hearts and help them to come to that full knowledge and understanding that they would realize that whatever it is in front of them that they can't seem to overcome whatever is too great that seems to be binding them and holding them back that through the power of of thy dying and the power of thy resurrection that they can have victory help them to truly believe that and commit themselves to it dear father we pray for those that uh are going through difficult times that maybe their faith is wavering as they go through very difficult times and uh, don't know why they are suffering so much. Help them to trust Thee completely and to look to Jesus and His suffering and His love for them. This evidence that is so clear of the love that Thou dost have for us to be so that they could be comforted. Dear Father, we thank Thee for Thy abundant provision, and we ask that Thou wouldst continue to tarry to, with us, that Thou wouldst be with us as a church in the days that are ahead, the challenges that swirl around us doctrinally and uh, with the influence of this world. We realize that they were then, too, in 2,000 years ago in the early church, and that it was only through belief in the simple word, commitment to it, uh, to preserving it, to preaching it, that the church was able to endure Help us, dear Father, to do that, to have that same simple faith now and to proclaim this this wonderful word. Dear Father, we thank thee for the opportunity we've had today to gather, and we ask that thou wouldst bring many more through our doors, that they would be able to hear this message of salvation that is the core of what we preach and what we profess. Help that witness never to be obscured uh, through any weakness on our parts or uh, lack of caring for each other or uh, disconnectedness from each other. Help us, dear Father, to be that that light, uh, uh, the city on a hill that cannot be hid. Dear Father, we 
are so thankful for all that thou hast provided for us. We look to thee for the future, for all our needs. Dear Father, we, we confess that we can't supply our needs, but we know that in Christ Jesus we do have everything. We pray this in thankfulness and rejoicing in him. Amen. In closing, I'm going to ask Brother Allen if uh, you have that uh, email ready to, to come up. Um, I'd just like to ask the church to please keep uh, Zarko and Brian in prayer. Uh, I know it's a very nervous time for them. Uh, they're, they're not from our backgrounds, as, and they don't have anyone really in the church that, uh, of their family, but I just pray that they will all sense our, that we are their family and that uh, if they have many more brothers and sisters, God willing, come, come uh, Sunday. And um, keep them in prayer. And I'm going to ask Brother Alan to, to read a, an update on Sister Kara Freeman. We received some joyful news this morning. Perhaps you can read that for us, Brother. I meant to read it this morning for closing, but uh, the confusion over the Sunday school program directed me elsewhere. So I got this email, as many of you have read, possibly. So I thought it would be good as we've been keeping track of Sister or Kara Freeman's um, condition as, she's, as her mother Debbie has been conveying to everyone. So dear praying family, this incredible, this incredible day is almost too wondrous to reduce to words. Looking back on the past hours is like picking up precious stones to be rubbed and admired. The hospital was unusually quiet and sparsely populated today, but from its various nooks and crannies came a stream of the Lord's own in the form of volunteers, security guards, food service workers, and nursing staff with words of love and blessing and hope. As surgery time approached, Dr. Henderson arrived to pray with us. He said he had already prayed with his wife at home but desired to do so with, his, with us. He tenderly held Kara's limp hand, still in a coma, and presented her to the Father. Um, in part, he prayed, We have failed miserably, but you can he- heal her in an instant, and we ask for that. I pray that you will guide my mind and hands and use me and heal this little one. Time stood still for a moment as desire and hope mixed with submission to God's ultimate will were written on our faces and etched in our hearts. Then things rolled into action. Two and one half hours later, Back in her own room, the recovery crew, regular staff, and Dr. Henderson watched with cautious hope as Kara came to consciousness and progressed to extubation and breathing on her own. What a collective sigh of relief when she calmly smiled. After the recovery crew had settled and all their fussing was calmed down and I was free to talk with her, Kara asked me what day it is. I told her it is set. I told her... I told her it is Saturday, tomorrow is Easter. So I got him to read it. Kara's in, I think it's, is it Maryland or somewhere there? Um, when she woke up, she asked what day it was. Uh, the mother said, I told her it was Saturday, tomorrow is Easter. With a twinkle in her eye and her soft whisper of a voice, she said, 
Can I go home tomorrow? She pointed to her legs and showed me that she can now move them. She said she feels better than she had felt for a long time. It's now 11 p.m. I have just spoken to an exuberant nurse who assured me of her continued stability and progress. She said the whole staff is rejoicing at at the unbelievable change. Indeed, I could hear a festive tone. On the medically practical level, we should still be restrained, so we are being cautiously joyful. Our hearts, though, are bursting with praise. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. May we all go home soon. In our Lord, Debbie, for the Freemans. So one thing we can do is pray and thank God for this wonderful breakthrough. And the nurse seems very confident that the stability will continue. So our prayers are not in vain, and uh, I pray that we all continue to have her in prayer and the family. May God uh, bless the word today. This concludes our service.